Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Today I'm joined by Charlie Gilkey, fascinating character. Background, army, logistics, philosophy, um, and he's he's done a number of things in there, but his major work is around productivity, uh, particularly on the team side now. got a new book coming out, which you'll talk about today. But you'll find this conversation fascinating. I use it as a bit of a self-help from myself and the team, sharing a few ideas in there. But also he links into the work by James Clear and Atomic Habits, which you know I love. Uh, so it's a, a great conversation around what habits that teams can start to apply. And we get into a bit of detail around how you structure meetings, how you structure rapport with teams, particularly in the hybrid world. So you'll find it fascinating. And uh, I'm sure he's going to be another guest on another another episode because there's so much we could go into in this space that would help people out there. So enjoy. Charlie, welcome. Uh, be great for you to tell the audience a bit about yourself, who you are, and uh, a bit of your story. Be great. Thanks for having me first. Um, and I'm going to start with the brief version. I was going to say the Twitter version, but right now that's a that means something different than it that's meant two redundant. weeks ago. <laughs> that's redundant. Um, I'm Charlie Gilkey. I write and teach about habits, doing your best work, building strong teams, and um, becoming a better leader. And so it's really focused on how do you do your best work individually, but how do you do your best work as a team? I got into this. Um, I was simultaneously um, a Army Joint Force Military Logistics Coordinator and advancing towards my PhD in philosophy and had some of those very human challenges that would happen when you're maintaining multiple careers across dimensions. I started Productive Flourishing to really share what I had learned about making that work and what wasn't working. Um, mm. And that grew into a, you know, one of the top websites and companies on productivity planning and leading in a creative context. I really work with a lot of people who are in um, knowledge working teams. So I don't do like heavy construction or anything like that, but a lot of knowledge workers um, mm. and, and the ways that we have to work show up. Along the way, I've written a few books. My recent book um, was Start Finishing, How to Go From Idea to Done, which is a surprising productivity book column. We might talk about that. We might not. And my yeah. forthcoming one is called Team Habits. And it really focuses on improving your team's performance and belonging, not by starting with why, no shade, mm. right? Not by the big things, but really looking at the day-to-day -day ways in which we work together, the habits we have as a team, and making them better. We know from the personal side that if we focus and invest on habits, we get exponential returns. Turns out it's true for teams as well. It's just a different, a different approach because any activity you do in a team setting is inherently a social activity on top of the whatever the activity is, which means mm. you get social overheads, you get negotiations, you get different meaning. And that's what makes teamwork great. But it's mm. also what can make it challenging. So that's the quick story. Uh, I, I love the, the, the Twitter or the latest version of whatever Twitter is going to be. So it'd be interesting to see what we come up with next. Um, I'm fascinated. So when I was doing a bit of research into the background, creativity plus energy equals better selves is, is part of your philosophy. And, and you mentioned creativity there again. So there couldn't be something more creative than the background you've got, philosophy army. Um, where you came to. But tell me more about the creativity and energy, because for me, that makes sense. Yeah. About 
I don't know, 10 years ago, people don't ask me this question anymore. They would ask me for interviews. They'd be like, so give us some ideas for how to be more creative. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, well, I can answer that question. But most of the people come to me have an abundance of creativity. That's not the problem. They have an abundance of ideas. They have an abundance of that. But what they don't have is ways that work for them for actually converting those ideas and converting that creative energy into projects that get done. Projects in Charlie's world are anything that takes time, energy, and um, attention to complete. And Mm -hmm. I say anything because a lot of times when we think of projects um, or projects, depending upon where in the world you're from, uh, when we think of projects. (laughs) I like it. Bilingual. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When we think of projects, we think work. Yeah. Right. And we apply a lot of the skills we learn from productivity and things to work or economic work. Mm -hmm. But when I say project, I mean anything. Right. I mean, cleaning out that closet of doom that most people have. Like the reason that's not happening is because it's a project and you know, it's a project. It's not a task. It's not a one-off thing. Right. Um, getting married, moving, learning a new language. You know, I can go down the list of things that are projects and we are over invested in the projects at work. So we're already overloaded there and we don't have the capacity to do the projects of our lives. So we're unfulfilled there. And so projects are, they're both mirrors and bridges. Mm. Um, They're mirrors because as soon as you choose a project that truly, truly matters to you, it's going to mirror what's happening internally. All of your stories are going to come up. All of the things are going to start to come up. So it mirrors that, but it also mirrors what happens in the world. Right. We've all done that. We've chosen that great project. We watched TED talk. We listened to the leadership tales or we listened to the leadership tales podcast. We got a great idea and we decided to do Mm it. We make a plan, but we make that plan without considering the fact that we're already full. Hmm. Where is that project going to live? Okay. So those are mirrors and bridges. They're bridges because they build the future life, work, community, society that you want to live in. If you don't complete the project, you don't build that bridge. Hmm. And so, so many people are frustrated and regretful and overwhelmed. And at a certain point, it becomes stories that they tell about themselves when there's a much simpler answer here. You just haven't finished the projects that take you where you want to go. If you want to make a difference, like let's stop with the shaming and beating ourselves up and say, hey, we're going to make choices differently. We're going to choose and invest in different projects. And there's no magic here. Those things start to happen. Listening to um, a book this morning, uh, The Earned Life, um, and it's uh, Marshall Goldsmith. And he talked about, you know, the desire to be more um, added to the desire to ask for help. And I I do think there's something in here about, you know, I'm a big fan in life balance rather than work-life balance, bringing patterns. You know, Mm -hmm. all the work that we talk about, making your bed in the morning to allow focus and structure, all of these things patterning that's really making sense, which which then leads us to productive flourishing. Yeah. Which <laughs> where did you get that title? Because I love that. I think that I it took us about three bottles of wine to get uh, potential squared as a name. So yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well thank you for that. Um it was actually the third name that we came up that I came up with. So it took a few <laughs> iterations so to get there. <laughs> yeah. The name actually came out of fr- out of frustration because at the time I started Productive Flourishing, so we're talking 2006, 2007, depending upon when, you know, when we want to make it official. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the literature was very fractured. You had sort of the productivity 
literature on one side, very hacky, very to-do list, very sort of like very granular. And then you had the personal development um, literature on the other side that was very high level, very principle focused, very like that. And there's not a problem with either one of those. What kept coming over and over and over again is productivity without being focused for thriving is actually useless, right? It's actually damaging, I would go as far as to say, right? Mm. But we can't just talk about thriving. We can't just talk about flourishing. We have to do stuff in the world. Productive flourishing, and it's important. It's always been important to me. Productive modify modifies flourishing. Hmm. Productive modifies flourishing. We become who we are through action. It's a neo-Aristotelian synthesis there, but... We know that at a certain point. So it's just baked into the D like philosophy is baked into um, PF and that and productive flourishing in that way. But yeah, we become by doing. Um, and so if you want to be something different, you got to do something different. And, and that's, that's a key thing in here. Cause when we come back to the work on habits and teams, yeah, mm-hmm. the, there's, there's parallels here. We, we come by doing in here because I, I you can send teams off and team builds and everything else, but it's only when they get into projects, you know, mm-hmm. that they find out the real behaviors, the real drivers in there. So, so link me back to there in terms of the work you do. It's true at the personal level that we are what we do, mm-hmm. right? Not, not what we do for work, but when we look at a cultural perspective, we are what we do. And not we not what we say we're going to do, not the values on the wall, not the aspirational statement. And everyone sort of knows this, right? It's like when the senior team comes and they're like, we've changed our values. And you're like, but what's really changed, actually? <laughs> right? Yeah. Just some words on the wall? No, it only makes a difference if we change our behaviors to match those values. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is where we get in trouble because in teams – especially as managers and leaders of teams will say one thing, but the reality of what our team's doing are doing are different. So we say, Hey, we support work-life balance and we don't want you to be overloaded and we want you to have meaning at work and autonomy. And then we overstuff them or we, you know, we're overstuffed decisions change on us without us having any idea why is we got a bunch of meetings that we largely don't want to be at, right? And so the team habits that govern how we show up with each other actually are the truth of our team. Hmm. Um, And so if you want to change that, we really have to think, okay, we are experiencing meeting fatigue. That's a category of team habits meetings, right? How do we change that? Why do we have these meetings? And how do we decompose that to figure out? So for instance, on this one, so many people are having meetings so frequently Well, mostly because their team habits around communication Mm -hmm. or collaboration are broken. Yeah. And so meetings become crutch things that we have to do because we can't communicate outside of this well. And because we can't collaborate outside of a meeting, let's do the most expensive thing and pull (laughs) everybody together real time, chew up their days, but not fix what's making us have the meetings. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so those that's when we start unpacking team habits and it becomes very granular, very, very granular, very quickly in the sense where it's like one of the reasons we keep having crutch meetings is because we don't spend five minutes at the end of the meeting discussing next actions. Hmm. Very yeah. simple thing that we can do, but that yeah. will prevent that. Like, what did we talk about? Oh, let's have a conversation again to talk about what we talked about that talks about what we talked about. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm painting these caricatures. I don't want to say all teams are like that, but a lot Always of teams, <laughs> a, a lot of teams are right. Yeah. 
mean, um, we've just done that, Charlie. We just we've realised that we weren't taking notes at the end of meetings, so we put it in a discipline. Which team have put it? I'm not accountable. The team have put it in discipline, saying here's the notes from the meeting, and it's helped everybody to be clear what we talked the last time what we're doing next time. So I'm with you. We build habits as individual because we don't want the cognitive processing of all the different actions that we got to do, right? We don't want to think about how to tie our shoes every time. We don't want to think about like where our keys are every stinking day, right? Mm -hmm. So we create personal habits that lower the cognitive load and the energetic load of our lives and just make things easier. We need to do the same thing for team habits because when, and so there's a difference here. I need to be clear. The difference between a habit that an individual does or that a few habit, a few individuals do on the meeting and a team habit is that the team all does the habit. We all do it the same way in ways that work for us. Right. So we might talk about that. So if we all develop the discipline and the habit of dropping our next action, next actions in the meeting doc, and we all do that, guess what? We as a team don't have to run around and find that one person who didn't do it and figure out yeah. what they are. Just in the same way that personal habits lower the cognitive load, you got to think, going back to what I said earlier about team action and collective action, mm-hmm. creating team habits lowers cognitive load, which is great, but it also lowers emotional and social load. It's awkward to go find that one person that didn't put their next actions in the meeting notes and be like, Hey, so what's going on? And you don't want to be that person, right? It introduces that social and emotional component to it. And that's, what's unique about working in groups is that it adds that layer to it. Very small habits like this done over time. And and the thing about it, Colin, you know, this, you've been in teams long enough, something as simple as putting next actions at the end of your meeting, you do it for two or three times. You're like, okay, it's good. And then it falls off yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. you got to continue to do it. It's just like, it's the same basic principles. You have to maintain them even when mm. they're simple habits, because it's not just you, Colin, it's mm. five to eight other people, but it makes such a huge difference when you can show up to work. Yeah. You're not running around trying to figure out what's going on. You have built team habits around belonging so that you trust the people that you're with. You have some core team habits that everyone knows, you know, everyone knows that what showing your work in the team means. That's one of the core team habits, show your work. And it means different things, but everyone shows their work. So you know where it is and you, you don't get that surprise project. You can show up to work and the work can be really conceptually difficult because oftentimes it is. But it's not draining and exhausting because you don't have this additional emotional and social layer on top of it. It is a fascinating thing for me because I'm reading the Stoics at the moment. And there's a lot of basic discipline that you you start with, which is incredible. But people go, ah, I don't know how you do it, Con. You know, how do you are so disciplined? I'm not disciplined. I I had to make myself disciplined. But but there are certain things that when are done well, and we've got one called brief back, check back, which is a military background, you know, that Mm -hmm. you brief back what you've heard from the brief. Mm -hmm. And you get the gap. So it's a bit like, you know, it's turning up to a meeting and saying, so what's the purpose of the meeting? Simple question that people forget. So this is what we're talking about is simple disciplines that become habits or practices Mm -hmm. that become habits that fuel team effectiveness. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, precisely. Um, In the book, I call it rocket practice because it's not rocket science. None of these are difficult, but the difficulty becomes in the practice, 
that's where the difficulty is of reminding people. And, you know, the, the next book is already not team habits, but the one after that is already starting to be like, okay, it's time. I'm like, let me get done with this one. But, um, one <laughs> no of the things, we, no yeah. <laughs> well, what, one of, one of the things we know as managers and leaders, when it comes to rocket practice is the importance of repetition of messages and saying it over and over and over yeah. and over again. Right. And it's, you know, the general advice here is like, if other people aren't saying it back to you, you haven't said it enough. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they're, they're not retaining it. If they're like, Oh, it's this principle or whatever. Then like, Oh, it's that value at play. You're like, okay, you, you might be able to chill on that one for a little bit, but if you're mm. rolling out a new thing, you got to say it over and over and over again. And it's really having compassion for all of us. Mm -hmm. Look, we're all in this constant information stream that's been unprecedented in human history. We're juggling a bunch of different balls. Um, the management structures that existed in the past that did a lot of this parsing and prioritization no longer exist. You know, we're in the middle of pandemics. Like the world is a lot going on. Mm. Our memories and precise attention or precise recall, I should say, are not what we would like them to be, right? If you yeah. think that you can tell someone the agenda of the, 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 the meeting agenda two weeks ago and then remember it today, I don't think you're being honest about what it feels like to be them because when it's your meeting and your agenda, you retain it. You've been thinking about it. Yeah. But when it's someone else's, you're like, ah, I'll get there and show up when I need to, or they'll prompt me, right? But we don't do that inversion when it comes to like, okay, I set this meeting a month ago. Hmm. The team needs to do some pre-work or pre-thinking about that. I hmm. did that so that they did some pre-thinking, but I'm going to remind them a week before what that was. Yep. Not from a place of nagging, not from a place of that, but just like, hey, it's been three weeks. A <laughs> lot's changed. Yeah. One, this is still the agenda. Two, just a reminder that there are these pieces to come prepared to talk about. Hmm. Super simple to do. Takes five minutes. I want us to rethink about meeting math and really what that means. Meeting hmm. math. A lot of times we think we're calling an hour meeting. Hmm. So let's say you have five teammates. I want us to rethink that as like that. That's not a one hour meeting. That's a five hour meeting. But, but wait, it's not just that five hours. Every teammate, if they're going to show up prepared and ready to transition from to and from the meeting, it's probably going to spend about 15 minutes on the front side of transitioning and 15 meetings on the back side. So then we have to add that back into the equation, right? So that yeah. that one hour meeting that you thought was simple to call actually ate up seven and a half hours. But, but wait, it gets worse. Depending upon when you call that meeting, a poorly timed meeting can eat up a whole afternoon or morning. So it's not just the time they're in sessions, everything they do around it. So for instance, this is why when people are like, we're going to schedule a nine o'clock in the morning meeting, I'm like, please don't do that. Here's why. I'm assuming work starts at nine. People are going to roll in. And if we're accounting for being human, someone's going to be late. Someone's going to have something happen. We're human. So you're going to get into that one. And like Steve had to drop off the kids again, 
And so he's 10 minutes late. So you're in this awkward thing where people are waiting 10 minutes. Do we start without Steve? Do we do random chatter? Like it's prone to fail. Hmm. If you do it at 10, well, then people show up to work at nine and kind of maybe check some email, maybe do some urgent stuff and then sort of slide into the meeting. They don't really get a good focus block in. They don't get a Hmm. good block of work. You could change that meeting to 11, assuming you're all on the same time zone. People can show up, accounts for the human stuff that's going to happen. Maybe they can get some good work done and then go to the meeting, have a powerful meeting, and then slide out to lunch as their afternoon. So, again, just changing where that meeting sits can make a huge difference to your team's productivity because not only only did you use that seven and a half hours well, Mm -hmm. right, um, you used it in a way that accounted for the fact that there's work outside of that meeting that needs to be done. And you can do yourself all the favor of not having to take that work home because it's the only time you're going to be able to get it done. Uh, you're talking my language because we've been thinking about meetings and we're thinking, right, so can we restrict to four hours of meetings a day? One, can we avoid using Zoom or other platforms to do those meetings to avoid the you know the, the, the damage it does to our um, energy through there. But our biggest issue is something we call, which is um, modeled on Churchill's prayers. We do a pulse at 9.15 each morning where the team come on and we just share what we did yesterday, highlight what we're doing today, what we're doing tomorrow. Now, I thought this was very simple, but actually either people come on, they do their to-do list, which everybody's like, I don't really need to know this. Or they come on, they go, this is a waste of time anyway. I've got things to do. And they've only had 15 minutes of, as you say, connecting in the workplace. Or it becomes a social fest. So we had one the other morning where we were talking about slippers, and it seems like everybody had furry slippers on that day. So you get into that social connection. So I think what we're talking about here is, one is there's a human connection that needs to happen in meetings. Yeah, Mm -hmm. transition, what we call priming into it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. then there's the content. And how effective can we get that? And then there's a transition out of it, actions and other pieces in there. Am am I getting that right? Yeah. Mostly. I mean, there are six different building blocks of meetings, right? Mm -hmm. And so bonding can be a building block of a meeting, right? Planning, making decisions, updates. You can go through and kind of see that. And so what we can say is like, okay, what is the real job to be done of that that 915 pulse? Hmm. Because if you as a team, it's a team of, and so I need to be clear about team. Team, by what I mean here is the most of us work in team where our real team is four to eight people that we spend an incredible amount of time with. Regardless of who's manager and who's leader, it's actually, most teams are fairly flat at that level. It's not like your boss is like the big boss that you got to be scared of. It's like, you know, Ashley. Ashley's cool, Mm -hmm. right? Ashley's doing the best too, right? Yeah. Um, And so in that team, you can make a lot of commitments and agreements with each other and you don't need higher ups. You don't need a budget. You don't need that. You could just as a team come together and say, you know what? The update and sort of, you know, collaboration part of this actually Mm -hmm. is not useful for us. Mm -hmm. What we really want to do is show up and talk about slippers. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the point of the meeting. And I think, especially when we're talking about hybrid or remote teams, um, so first off, the first habit, the first category of habits that I talk about are team habits is actually around belonging and developing specific habits around that and letting them be standalone good. Like there's not the business and then belonging. No, it's a part of being in a team is that you got to build rapport with people. And in hybrid and remote scenarios, 
all of the very human ways in which we bond with people are absent. Hmm. We don't have the water cooler time. We don't have the like, hey, Colin, I'm jumping out to get some coffee. Would you like me to grab you one? It's not about the coffee. It's Hmm. about, hey, Colin, I thought about you. Hmm. I care about your needs. I know what your preferences are. It's just that moment to say, you matter. I'm thinking about you. Can I support you? Hmm. We don't have very good components for that in, in hybrid or remote work. So that means as teams, we need to like take that seriously mm-hmm. and say, actually, what my, my argument here is, my, my, my postulation is here is that um, weak ties, like what type of slippers people wear, mm-hmm. create belonging. Belonging yeah. is the bedrock of performance because it's part of trust. And so there's a very direct line between someone knowing that you were wearing slippers and that they're the little dragon ones with the cute little fire things off the back and then pitching in at three o'clock in the afternoon when you're falling down and saying, I got you. That's what I would encourage for your team is to come back and say, what's, what are we really trying to do with this meeting? And if it's an update one, maybe that's a good Slack thread. Maybe that's a good, you know, whatever that might be. You know, there are different ways to get that update out, right? You don't need someone to read you a list where all most of us in knowledge working think we can all read. It's good. That list won't tell them the joy you have about slippers. And if it's an update, maybe you do it later. Like, I think when you just think about the building blocks, Colin, after this, I'll send you the building blocks so you can, so you yeah. can think about that and be thinking no, like, great. okay. So, and what we do though is we'll do something like have a 30 minute meeting that's effectively mm-hmm. a decision meeting, mm-hmm. but we'll have three or four items to decide in that meeting. If we're paying attention, most decisions that really take time to walk through take 30, 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. So we get into either three of them super quick. And what we do, Colin, not all of us, but this is a pattern I've seen long enough in my consulting and coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Is you're like, oh, well, we didn't get through that. Let's schedule another meeting to talk about about it again. And then you Mm -hmm. do the same pattern again. And so you end up with these quarter or half decisions that aren't being made, which cost your team time and and this confusion. We'd be better off to say, you know what? One meeting, one major decision. Yeah. And it's the translation there, isn't it, Charlie, about sometimes when somebody thinks it's a decision-making meeting, it's actually a for-information meeting. Yeah. So it's simple misconception misconception of a meeting and therefore people get in and they get frustrated and they waste energy on something where I'm just going to translate or transmit this to you, or is this a fundamental decision? And some people freak out and they think, so you've got a leadership meeting for a whole day and you're only going to make two decisions. Yeah. If it's one of the decisions that is going to impact your job, Hmm. you want us to take the time, Hmm. right? You don't want us to compress that down to 10 minutes. Some of the, and that's the thing that you got to think about why we need space for strategy sessions or, you know, strategic planning sessions or those longer ones. So you got to think those are the complex, long term, ambiguous projects that are ideas or or issues that Mm -hmm. likely can't be solved in a Slack thread. Right. They likely can't be solved in a five minute conversation because if they could be, they would be right at a certain point. Teams seek efficiency and teams. We as humans seek a bit of laziness. A lot of the smaller 
inconsequential so and so forth decisions actually get solved pretty quickly because we don't want to deal with them too much, right? Mm, yeah. But the big thorny ones, because sometimes we seek laziness, the big thorny ones pile up yeah. until the some point in which you have to make the decision. So that's, again, if we look at the meeting building blocks, you're like, okay, we have this type of issue. What are some of the aspects around that? Are we going to meet just to discuss it and the problem solve, but not necessarily decide? Mm-hmm. We're getting our, our opportunity. So I'm, I'm working with an organization. I'll give an, a, a very concrete example here. We're doing some work to make it much more like a holocratic organization, which means um, we're divesting, we're decentralizing the power of decision-making and collaboration to smaller teams. Okay. And a pattern that has emerged is that anytime there's a new issue, one, the executive board and executive team is not the primary decision-maker anymore. It's actually what we call dynamic teams that do that. What we've seen emerge is there's one team that comes together that does some vetting of the problem and picking of three courses of action that would best solve that problem. And Mm. that team's job is done. Done. Boom. There's Mm. another team that's an implementation team that will take that and actually build it out Mm. and turn it into an actual plan and, and get it rolling in that way. We did not expect that to happen, but what we've seen is the players who are great at that first team, that prioritization team, are not the players that are great at that second one. And the people that are great at the second one are not great at the first one. So trying to smush all of these people in the same room, and we've all been there where it's a strategy or big, big idea session, and there's someone that is so target-locked on a tactic or a task or just something that they can't be a part of the conversation and will derail the whole conversation hmm. because they can't let go of this tree they're holding on. It's like, we're talking about the forest and like, but this tree, yes, we have to, exactly. we've seen that, right? Yeah. Dynamically, like this emerged without us trying to make it happen, right? Hmm. And Love so it. now we know that when we set up the next task team, it's like, this is the prioritization team. This is your job, your one job. See if this is actually a problem. Hmm. Which I think we under we underthink in team settings. Um, we we're so busy trying to sell solutions, mm-hmm. where we need to spend more time selling the problem, hmm. right? And so the prioritization team is the one that's like we you know we as an organization think this is a problem, and they go and is like actually yeah this is a problem, and here's why, yep. and here's some approaches to it. Here's what we want to do. Here, here's what we've come up to it. Here's our recommendation. One of these mm. three things. Boom. Mm. Then the other team's like, okay, they've already determined that that's a problem. We can get out of that space and we agree with it. We understand why because they've documented it. Mm. Now we can get into how we're going to make those things happen. And what I love about this is, is we're starting to get into one is being in love with the problem, not the solution is design things. It's the diversion, the creative space. So that's and, and some people say prioritization is about converging, but actually first it's about diverging on issues and problems. So I, I love that. And then the execution team getting s- stuff done. And there's so many people who just say, just give me it, I'll work it up. And it's, and it's, it's interesting because my, my style is very much the divergent style. My COO is the get stuff done, yeah, style, mm-hmm. which works well. But when we try to scale that, that's our issue. Because her her teams potentially are more about getting stuff done. My team is more about bigger picture. So we're we're recruiting and developing our own images as well, which fascinating. Yeah. 
Well, and that would be the question for me. Like when we look at, I talk about this in team habits, when we think of atomic teams, like what's the Mm. smallest team that it takes to get the job done? Mm. When you say we're trying to scale that, again, not not necessarily that you asked me, like, let you want this question, but I'm like, no, what's the job to be done of scaling it? Does Mm. it need to be scaled? Or do you have the atomic team that you need for that function? Mm. And it's good enough. I'm biased because I'm a strategic thinker. I'm a top-down systems thinker like that side. It is incredibly hard to train. Hmm. It is so hard to train and it is so hard to hire for, right? And we see especially visionaries hire more visionaries. Hmm. And then the visionaries, that squad comes up with way more ideas that the implementation team is like, okay, no, your job was to come up with one idea that we could do a year. (laughs) Yeah, And you came back with five ideas that you sort of stuffed under one theme and you think mm-hmm. we can all do that. So again, I'm reading just say, my minutes then. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like I've done this work, Colin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I would just say like, that would be the question that I would go back to your CEO mm-hmm. and be like, okay, so we've been trying to scale this, but why? What's, what's yeah. the real problem we're trying to solve with that? Mm-hmm. Are the solutions that we're, that we're considering going to create downstream problems that are worse than the ones that we've got? Charlie, I'm aware that we could go on for ages. And I feel this is a very unusual episode and I'm loving it before it because it's, it's, I've sort of switched it around to me and started to think through my process. But, but what I love, what I've heard, Charlie, is the, the link back to Atomic Habits and James Clear. And it's linking back to the individual and then putting it into the team. Um, I love the fact that we're talking about habits, but also the complexity of the habits in there for the team because this is purposeful practice and the more we practice the better we'll get at these but i particularly like the link back to the atomic team is there have we got the right team the right size the right people in that room and then the structure of it i i could listen and work through this all day with you so it's uh, it's been a real pleasure to to talk to you i always ask one question which you know um and with your background this could be multiple answers but if you had to take one experiment or one failure that is, has been your biggest teacher, what would it be? Not creating enough space in the initiatives that, that I and the team create for the transition from one to the next. Completing a quarter or two quarter long project is great, but most teams need two to three weeks of transition time yep. to move into the next one. And a lesson that I continue to learn and it continues to be an expensive, expensive lesson is to build in that amount of transition time for the team. Um, so that, um, we can do the next initiative. Well, I love that. I mean, transitions is there's a book transitions that I haven't read, but it's on my list to read about how we transition and how we, cause it's the, you know, it's as a triathlon, ex triathlete transition was one of the key pieces in triathlon. So we're talking something here because you get the discipline of the team, you get the individual discipline, but those transitions we're talking about are, are so important. Charlie has been delighted. If people want to find more about you, about the product, and if they want to download a bit like I have the momentum app that you've got, where would they go, sir? All roads lead back to ProductiveFlourishing.com. I'd start there. It's our most active space. Um, If you want to get more daily doses of stuff, LinkedIn is actually the better place to find me. I met Charlie Gilkey, and that's really recent, but that's another conversation for another day, I think, Colin. 
Absolutely. Oh, it's been a delight, sir. Enjoy your uh, your weekend when it gets when you get to it eventually, and uh, I hope to have you on again, Charlie. Because I think I would love it. Once this book gets closer and the next book gets closer, we we've got more to talk about. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thanks for having. Thank me. you for your time. So wow. I've got my ideas, I've got my thoughts, I've got my atomic team, and I now need to start looking at. Uh, but again, I love the fact that all the thinking on the individual habits, work, practices, habits, feed systems is now going to the team side. And with Charlie's thinking and work, how we can start to do that into a way that allows us to, as he says, be agile in, in how we operate with teams but be focused and principled and disciplined about how we bring ourselves to teams. Now, involving the rapport, the conversations about slippers, whatever it is that you, you need to involve, but also um, the key thing about getting stuff done and who are the people that need to get it done and how do they need to be organized and structured to get that work done. So fascinating a piece. I'm sure you enjoyed it. For those who are uh, experimenters like myself, I'm sure you've got a few things you would pull from there and think, right, I'm going to try that. So uh, that was Charlie Gilkey, and you'll be able to find them in all the uh, the program notes after this. So I look forward to welcoming you back to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast soon. Thanks.